Genesis chapter 26, we continue to make our way uh, uh, through this book, considering the life of uh, the, the family history of Isaac, and in particular, his two sons, Jacob and Esau. Uh, I'd like to re- begin reading for us uh, in verse 34 of chapter 26, so just at the very, the very end of chapter 26, down to verse 40 of chapter 27. So let us once again give ear to the reading of God's holy, infallible, inspired word. When Esau was 40 years old, he took Judith, the daughter of Beeri, the Hittite, to be his wife, and Basimoth, the daughter of Elon, the Hittite, and they made life bitter for Isaac and Rebekah. When Isaac was, was old and his eyes were dim so that he could not see, he called Esau, his older son, and said to him, my son, and he answered, here I am. He said, behold, I am old, and I do not know the day of my death. Now then, take your weapons, your quiver and your bow, and go out to the field and hunt game for me, and prepare for me delicious food, such as I love, and bring it to me so that I may eat, that my soul may bless you before I die. Now Rebekah was listening when Isaac spoke to his son Esau. So when Esau went to the field to hunt for game and bring it, Rebekah said to her son Jacob, I heard your father speak to your brother Esau, bring me game and Prepare for me delicious food that I may eat it and bless you before the Lord before I die. Now, therefore, my son, obey my voice as I command you. Go to the flock and bring me two good young goats so that I may prepare from them delicious food for your father such as he loves. And you shall bring it to your father to eat so that he may bless you before he dies. But Jacob said to Rebekah, his mother, behold, my brother Esau is a hairy man. And I am a smooth man. Perhaps my father will feel me, and I shall seem to be mocking him and bring a curse upon myself and not a blessing. His mother said to him, Let your curse be on me, my son. Only obey my voice and go, bring them to me. So he went and took them and brought them to his mother, and his mother prepared delicious food such as his father loved. Then Rebekah took the best garments of Esau, her older son, which were with her in the house, and put them on Jacob, her younger son. And the sons of the young goats she put on his hands, or the skins of the young goats she put on his hands and on the smooth part of his neck. And she put the delicious food and the bread which she had prepared into the hand of her son Jacob. So he went in to his father and said, My father. And he said, Here I am. Who are you, my son? Jacob said to his father, I am Esau, your firstborn. I have done as you told me. Now sit up and eat of my game, that your soul may bless me. But Isaac said to his son, How is it that you have found it so quickly, my son? He answered, Because the Lord your God granted me success. Then Isaac said to Jacob, Please come near, that I may feel you, my son, to know whether you are really my son Esau or not. So Jacob went near to Isaac, his father, who felt him and said, The voice is Jacob's voice. But the hands are the hands of Esau. And he did not recognize him because his hands were hairy like his brother Esau's hands. So he blessed him. He said, are you really my son Esau? He answered, I am. Then he said, bring it near to me that I may eat of my son's game and bless you. So he brought it near to him and he ate and he brought him wine and he drank. Then his father Isaac said to him, come near and kiss me, my son. So he came near and kissed him. And Isaac smelled the smell of his garments and blessed him and said, See, the smell of my son is the smell of the field that the Lord has blessed. 
May God give you the dew of heaven and of the fatness of the earth and plenty of grain and wine. Let people serve you and nations bow down to you. Be Lord over your brothers and may your mother's sons bow down to you. Cursed be everyone who curses you and blessed be everyone who blesses you. As soon as Isaac had finished blessing Jacob, when Jacob had scarcely gone out from the presence of Isaac, his father, Esau, his brother, came in from his hunting. He also prepared delicious food and brought it to his father. And he said to his father, let my father arise and eat of his son's game, that you may bless me. His father Isaac said to him, who are you? He answered, I'm your son, your firstborn Esau. Then Isaac trembled very violently and said, who was it then that hunted game and brought it to me? And I ate it all before you came and I have blessed him. Yes, and he shall be blessed. As soon as Esau heard the words of his father, he cried out with an exceedingly great and bitter cry and said to his father, Bless me, even me also, O my father. But he said, Your brother came deceitfully, and he has taken away your blessing. Isaac said, Is he not rightly called Jacob? For he has cheated me these two times. He took away my birthright, and behold, now he has taken away my blessing. And he said, Have you not reserved a blessing for me? Isaac answered and said to Esau, Behold, I have made him lord over you, and all his brothers I have given to him for servants. And with grain and wine I have sustained him. Then what can I do for you, my son? Esau said to his father, Have you but one blessing, my father? Bless me, even me also, O my father. And Esau lifted up his voice and wept. Then Isaac, his father, answered and said to him, Behold, away from the fatness of the earth. Shall, be your, shall your dwelling be, and away from the dew of heaven on high. By your sword you shall live, and you shall serve your brother. But when you grow west, restless, you shall break his yoke from your neck. And the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God shall stand forever. Let's ask his blessing upon it now. Dear Heavenly Father, we do thank you for your word. We thank you for the truth and the power that it conveys. For indeed, it testifies to us concerning the person and work of your Son, Christ Jesus, our Lord. So we pray that as your word is proclaimed today, that you would uh, grant to us faith to believe all that is promised to us in the gospel, as well as hearts of gratitude for all that Christ has done. And we ask all of this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, beloved in the Lord, for the past couple weeks, we've considered in chapter 26 a, a flashback of sorts, where we've seen the journey of Isaac, his journey of faith, that had its twists and turns where he stumbled and fell. But ultimately, we saw in chapter 26 that Isaac walked by faith in the promises of God. And we appreciated two things in particular in chapter 26. Number one, the immense material blessing that God gave to Isaac. He gave him a a, a tremendous amount of wealth and prosperity. And we also saw, in particular last Sunday, the, the, the peace treaty that he was able to sign with the inhabitants of the land, where he was able to secure uh, a, a favored status um, amongst the people of Gerar, amongst the Philistines there. And that's an important picture for us to be able to grasp, because now, fast-forwarding to the present tense of the story, we now get to the time in which Jacob and Esau are grown men. They're in their early 40s, and now we see that they are struggling still 
Even from the time within, when they were within their mother's womb to the time that they are grown men, they are still at each other's necks, struggling and fighting in particular over who gets to inherit all of the immense wealth of their father, Isaac. And so we see, uh, we, we, we saw at the very end of chapter 26, really uh, this footnote where we see when Esau was 40 years old, he married these two Hittite women. And we may wonder, why is this being placed here? Well, this is really setting the stage for us and really giving us a glimpse into the character of Esau as we come to this very familiar story of Jacob's deception of his father. A story that is filled with intrigue, with suspense. It's a story that I'm sure many of us who were raised in the church were told from childhood. And as we begin considering this story, we'll consider this Sunday the deception of Jacob. And next Sunday, we'll see the aftermath of of him deceiving his father. But as we consider this story, it's important for us to consider these two twins who who are struggling and fighting over obtaining the blessing of their father. We're told that Esau had married these two Hittite women. The Hittites were a subdivision, a subgroup of the Canaanites. These were the original inhabitants of the land who we know uh, through direct revelation of God that, that the Holy Covenant family was not to intermarry with. Sure, uh, Abraham and Isaac would be able to sign treaties and covenants with these people, but at the end of the day, we saw from Abraham's example that they were not to intermarry with these people. You may recall when Abraham needed to find a wife for his son Isaac, he took his his most senior servant and he made him swear before the Lord that he would not take a wife for his son from the daughters of the Canaanites among whom he dwelt, but that he would go back to his home country and to his own kindred, and find a wife for his son Isaac. And there we saw that back in chapter 24, how the servant went and found Rebekah from amongst Abraham's extended family. And so we see there, here is a direct command from God that the Holy Covenant family is not to intermingle, it is not to intermarry within the inhabitants of the land, because ultimately upon them the curse will come several centuries later. But here in direct violation of that, we see Esau taking two Hittite women to be his wife. Now, we may wonder, of course, clearly this shows Esau's own character, but perhaps this is a greater indictment upon Isaac, his father. If indeed it was the father's, uh, if, if, if it was the father's job and task to find a wife for his son, here Esau, being 40 years old, the same exact age that Isaac was when he married, where was Isaac in this whole, uh, uh, where was Isaac? He's dropping the ball. He's not finding a wife, uh, a, a legitimate wife for his son. And so we see Esau going on his own. No doubt in rebellion against the wishes of his parents because uh, we see that this not only displeased Rebekah, but also Isaac, his father. These women, for whatever reason, made life bitter for them. But once again, we get a glimpse into Esau's lack of faith in the promises of God. Here again, we see, just as he's despised his birthright earlier, here intermarrying with the inhabitants of the land, we see him trying to, on his own efforts, 
bring about a, a, a blessing upon himself. Intermarriage was a surefire way to assimilation with the people of the land. If you want to uh, intermix with them, if you want to become part of the people, you marry with them. And also, that's a surefire way to gain status and wealth and property is uh, through these marriage contracts. And so here again, we see Esau not wanting to walk by faith, but rather wanting through his own efforts, through intermarrying with these women, uh, to obtain a status within the land. He despised his birthright, and here he shows no desire to sojourn in the land without also being part of the land. As I said, this, uh, his marriages brought much grief, not only to his mother, who will end up voicing this grief yet again later in the chapter, but also to Isaac, his father. And yet, that did not deter him from blessing, or at least attempting, to bless his son. And just by way of reminder, we may wonder, well, what is the difference between this blessing we read of in chapter 27 and the birthright that Esau had sold uh, to his brother for a pot of stew? Keep in mind, the blessing was the official bestowal of the birthright. They're not two separate things. But they, uh, it is the bestowal of, of the birthright upon the son through the blessing. And this birthright would have included not only the inheritance of the entire estate, all of that wealth, all of the servants, all of the property and everything, the riches that, I, that Isaac had obtained would go all to one son. It would include not only the inheritance of the entire estate, but also succession of the role of patriarch. The, the, the son who received the blessing would be the one who would assume the role of the head of the covenant community. And this would entail not only cultural duties, but also religious duties, priestly-like duties. The one, he would be the one who would build the altar and call upon the name of the Lord on behalf of the whole family unit. And so he would be the one who would follow the succession from Abraham to Isaac and, and the son who obtained the blessing would be the one through whom God would continue the covenant promises. All of these things and more were included in the birthright. And although Esau had sold his birthright, despising that, we nevertheless see a desire on his part to get the blessing. Now we may wonder, well, wait a minute, did he have a change of heart? Did he mature in his life and realize that actually he, he wanted, that, he wanted the, the birthright? He wanted to obtain the blessing? No. We know that Esau did not have a change of heart. Hebrews tells us that very clearly. He found no place for repentance. And yet, why is he crying? Why does he want a blessing so bad? Esau wanted the material blessing. He desired the blessing without the obligations of the covenant. He wanted to obtain the blessing through his own strength and power without having to humbly rely upon God through faith. And although, uh, uh, although he was wanting the blessing, although he was expecting the blessing, keep in mind he already sold his birthright in a very legal process. And surely his father Isaac knew about that. Surely Jacob could not keep his mouth shut about the fact that he was able to trick his brother into selling his birthright, and he never stopped talking about it. And yet, even though that was a legally binding sale, we see here both Isaac and Esau 
scheming together to completely disregard that cell of his birthright and an attempt to have Esau receive the blessing. And so although Isaac was able to overlook that, God was not. As Hebrews tells us in Hebrews 12, 17, that it is because Esau despised his birthright that ultimately he was rejected because he was not willing to receive the blessing through faith. Ultimately, that's why God rejected him. So even apart from the divine oracle that was pronounced while they were still in the womb, the older shall serve the younger, even apart from that prophecy, Isaac at this point, as a father who's deciding which twin son should I bless, he should have known better. He should have known that Esau was not worthy of this blessing. And yet we wonder, why was he so dead set on blessing Esau? Why was it that he wanted to go out of his way to make sure that Esau got the blessing and Jacob did not? Ultimately, it's because what we're told back in chapter 25, that Isaac loved Esau more. We see here again the sin of favoritism. He loved Esau more. And you may wonder, why? Why did he love him more? Because he loved to eat of his game. Here we see Isaac, like his son Esau, being driven through his appetite. It's because he loved eating his food so much that he loved him that he wanted to give him the blessing. Now, some of you may not understand how food can, can change major life decisions. I can appreciate that. <laughs> I can appreciate how certain, parts, certain meals, certain types of food can, can make a, a huge difference in your life. And here we see Isaac doing just that. Notice how many times the food that's mentioned is, is described as the food which he loves. Time and time again, it's the food which he loves. And ultimately, that's why he calls his son. Now that he is old, at this point, he's, he's over 100 years old. Uh, and, and, and due to old age, blindness has set in. And yet here, even though we read of him being physically blind, I think at this point, sadly, we can, we can detect a spiritual blindness as well. He should have known better, and yet he is dead set on blessing Esau, his son. He calls him in privately, and he says in verse 2, I do not know the day of my death. While no one, no, none of us know the day of our death, I think it's fair to say that people generally know that they are dying. We see clear examples of this in Scripture later on. We'll see Jacob. Uh, at his deathbed, gathering his sons before him so that he might bless them. We see Joseph do the thing at the very end of the book of Genesis. We know when we're dying. And yet here Isaac professes ignorance. He does not know the day of his death, and although he perhaps suspects it's near. Sadly, or in this case, in Isaac's case, he was way off. We don't read of his death until chapter 35 when we read that he died at the age of 180. Isaac is going to live decades after this event, and yet he goes out of his way to preemptively attempt to bless his son. Now, typically, if we want to take Jacob as an example, at his deathbed, when he gathered, what he did was he gathered all of his sons before them, before him to receive a blessing. 
And typically, this is what a dying father would do. Presumably, this is what uh, Abraham did with all of his sons. Even though he gave everything to Isaac, no doubt he also gave blessings to his other sons before sending them away. And yet here, we see Isaac summon Esau privately. And so we see this preemptive secret blessing being especially designed to give Esau everything and Jacob nothing. Now, this plan will backfire on Isaac. This plan will backfire so that he has nothing left over for Esau when he finds out that Jacob had gotten the blessing. And yet we can see his design here in privately summoning his son, saying, make this meal for me so that my soul may bless you. The design is that Esau would get everything and Jacob would get nothing. Now, we may fault Isaac for his stubborn insistence to bless Esau, being driven by his appetite rather than by what he should spiritually discern in the life of his son. And yet, we need to keep in mind at this point, Jacob is not the paragon of virtues. It's not as if Esau is is this horrible guy and Jacob is this saint. Clearly, from what we see in our passage today, Jacob is just as wicked and deplorable as his brother. And so really, it's a coin toss about who deserves the blessing. At the end of the day, neither one of these twins deserve the blessing of their father. And yet, Isaac had a favorite, and Rebekah had a favorite. And although Isaac thinks that he's going to be able to get away with this private preemptive blessing on his favored son, unbeknownst to him, Somebody was listening. Indeed, Rebecca, his wife, who seems, to, uh, who seems to see and know all in this chapter, was privately listening and eavesdropping uh, on her husband and waiting until Esau set out on his hunting expedition. Rebecca now gets her favorite son, Jacob, and tells him what to do. She uses very strong language. Notice, uh, notice there when she says to Jacob, she says, obey the voice as I, my voice as I command you. She's not suggesting this. She's being very heavy-handed. I command you to do this. Go get two goats and bring them to me, and you're going to get the blessing. And when she tells Jacob uh, of her plan in order for him to deceive his father uh, to be able to get the blessing and not Esau, we see Jacob object. And yet his objection is not based upon any moral qualms. It's not as if he has a problem with deceiving and lying to his father. Uh, But rather, he's afraid of getting caught. He's afraid that his plan would backfire on him. He says, well, mom, you know Esau's hairy. Right? After all, didn't you named him Harry, right? That's what Esau means. Harry. He was Harry at birth. He's Harry as a grown man. Jacob says, I'm a smooth man. Right? My father will know. And this plan's gonna backfire. Instead of getting a blessing, I'm gonna get a curse upon myself. And so he has no problem with lying and deceiving his father. He just wants to make sure that he's not gonna get caught. And at this point, Rebecca replies by saying, Your curse be upon me. Here we see Rebecca acting recklessly. Does she really think that a curse could be transferred? If the blessing that Jacob eventually got was irrevocable, did she really think that a curse pronounced upon him could easily just be transferred over? 
Well, here she's acting recklessly. Here she is taking matters into her own hands, grabbing the bull by the horns to insist that her favorite son get the blessing. And as Jacob eventually obeys his mother, as he hurries and gets two young goats and brings them, we read in very quick succession in verses 14 through 17, the food is prepared. Jacob is in costume, including uh, Esau's best, uh, you know, Sunday best suit, coat. He wears that, and uh, including even some of the goat's hair. His mother puts on his neck and puts on his hands to mimic the hairiness of his brother. And food is in hand, and he's ready to go as he enters into his father's tent. And as we read of the interaction, the exchange between uh, uh, Jacob and his father Isaac in verses 18 through 29, as he tries to convince him that he is Esau, we see that it's actually a pretty tough sell. Isaac, although he is blind and and over 100 at this point, is pretty keen. So when he comes in and he announces himself, the very first first thing that, that comes out of Isaac's mouth is, who are you, my son? Notice he, he, he knows that it's one of his sons, but he needs to know which one of you. Who are you? He's blind, but he's not deaf. And he knows that this is not Esau's voice that he is hearing. And so what does Jacob say? Well, he replies by saying, I am Esau. And in his lie, he, he gives information that only Esau should know. Well, I, I, I went on that, that journey that you told me to do. I, I did the task that you commanded so that you may eat of my food and that you may, that you may bless me. Well, the next question that Isaac asks in verse 20 is, how? How did you do that so quickly? How did you go and get your weapons and then go out into the field and find an animal and hunt it down and kill it and bring it back and skin it and cook it and get it to me so quickly? How is that possible? Now, as it turns out, Esau himself made, actually made pretty good time. I mean, he got in there just as soon as Jacob got out. And yet Jacob now needs to devise another lie. And in so doing, he brings the name of the Lord into it. Notice what he says, the Lord your God, Yahweh your God, uh, blessed me. Yahweh your God is the one who allowed me to find this animal so quickly. Here he is taking the name of the Lord in vain. And notice how he refers to the Lord. He says, Yahweh your God. It's interesting, at this point, the Lord is known as the God of Abraham and of Isaac, but is he the God of Jacob? Can Jacob really say, Yahweh, my God? Well, at this point, it's, it's, it's kind of a question. Does he really know the Lord? Well, surely the Lord will reveal himself to him. The Lord will be known as the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, but perhaps not at this point. Isaac really needs, or sorry, Jacob really has a lot to learn. And so still in doubt and wanting to confirm if indeed this is Esau, uh, as he says he is, uh, Isaac asks Jacob to come near in verse 21 so that he can rely upon his sense of touch. It's said that as, as soon as, as one of your senses go, your other sen- senses are heightened. So blind people can, can uh, have, have a much more heightened sense of touch or of hearing. 
And so that is what he wants to rely upon as Jacob comes near and he feels his hands that are covered with the goat's skin. It makes you really wonder, man, Esau must have been a really hairy guy. If you've ever petted a goat, uh, it, it's, uh, it's pretty hairy and coarse. Surely he was, uh, he was a rugged mountain man with a lot of hair on him. And as he feels his hand, he feels not a smooth hand like Jacob's, but he feels a hand that feels like Esau's. And that's why he says, well, the voice is Jacob's, but the hand, the hand is Esau's. And so he is unable to recognize that really it is Jacob underneath those goat skins. And so we read that he is convinced, at least so we think, In verse 23, until we read in verse 24, he asks him one more time, Are you really my son Esau? Are you really him? And Jacob, in as quick of a way as as possible, not wanting to give away himself through his voice, he says, Yeah, that's it. Just a quick, yes, I am. And so Isaac proceeds with the blessing ceremony. He says, Bring me near the food that I may eat. Having, been, having persuaded himself, uh, reasonably persuaded himself that this was Esau, Isaac now asks for the meal that he prepared, which Jacob is happy to serve to him, including wine. Did you notice that? Father, can I uh, fill up your glass again? <laughs> can I give you some more wine? He, he, wants, to, he wants to make sure that his father's senses, uh, senses have been uh, reasonably dulled by the time that he's done eating so that uh, this will be a bit easier of a sell. And having finished all of the food, even by his own admission, he says, I ate it all. Uh, having finished the entire meal, Isaac asks his son to draw near to kiss him. And this is a symbol, a, a, a sign of love and of respect for a, father to, a son to kiss his father, but also uh, keep in mind, Isaac is blind at this point, and, and perhaps uh, Jacob being, coming down, kneeling down to kiss his father, Isaac is now able, since that he is near, he's able to place his hands on his head. The imposition of hands upon the head we see happening later when Jacob blesses the two sons of Joseph. As he crosses his arms and blesses the two sons, perhaps here uh, Isaac does just that. As he lays his hand on his son's head, and he smells the garments. If there was any lingering doubts in Isaac's mind, they vanished when he was able to smell the garments of Esau that Jacob was wearing. And, and notice what he says there. He, as he smells, he says, see the smell of my son. He's able to see with his nose. I see him. He could, uh, it's as if he could picture Isaac, uh, Esau's face as he smells those garments. And that inspires him to to launch in uh, to this blessing as he says, the smell of my son is the smell of the field that Yahweh has blessed. And here in this blessing, we see, uh, uh, number one, fruitful prosperity. In verse 28, he he speaks of the, uh, the fatness of the earth, the dew of heaven, plenty of grain and of wine. He, he, uh, he blesses him with fruitful prosperity. He blesses him with dominion, in verse 29, that he would be a lord over his brothers, that his mother's sons would bow down to him, that he would exercise dominion over all around him. And finally, the blessing concludes with divine protection, that those who curse him would be cursed, that those who bless him would be blessed. 
Now, this blessing should sound familiar. This is a lot of the similar language that has been used throughout the book of Genesis to describe the Lord's blessing upon people to enable them to be fruitful and multiply uh, uh, so that they would be able to experience the, 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 the bountiful earth. And yet, keep in mind that although this blessing is pronounced over Jacob, it was intended for Esau. And I think that, that, that the blessing takes a, sp- a particular tone with that in mind. It was pronounced over Jacob, but it was intended for Esau. And conspicuously absent in this blessing is any overt reference to the covenant that God made with Abraham and reiterated to Isaac. Notice there, there is nothing mentioned about having a people or a place, having an offspring of descendants without number and the land which the Lord, their, the Lord their God would give them. It's interesting that only later in chapter 28, when Isaac actually realizes that it is Jacob he is blessing, it's only then that he explicitly references the blessing of Abraham to him and to his offspring that they would take possession of the land. It's as if Isaac knew that Esau was not worthy to take on the covenant promises. And so he blesses him in kind of this general sense of of, uh, prosperity and dominion and divine protection, but omits the overt references to the covenant promises. It's very interesting that he does that. Once we... Take a pause here in this chapter, and as I said, next week we're going to consider the aftermath of the deception. We're going to consider Esau and, and his response and, and uh, all of the, the outfall of this. As we read of Jacob leaving his father's tent in the nick of time, getting away, uh, uh, escaping uh, his, his brother Esau coming in, And we read of Isaac's firm conviction that he will be blessed, as he says to Esau in verse 33. Yes, he will be blessed. We may wonder, we may be tempted to think that Rebekah and Jacob's deceptive plan actually worked. And then we may wonder, well, wait a minute, were they able, through human cunning and scheming, to obtain the blessing of God? Isn't that what we've been told can't happen? That you cannot obtain the blessings of God through the works of the flesh? And yet, isn't that exactly what Jacob, through his mother's advice, does here? Does he get away with it? Does he actually get a blessing by lying to his father? Well, I think if you consider the book of Genesis as a whole, and you consider how the story unfolds, we realize that nothing can be further from the truth. Now, don't get me wrong. God did, in fact, use their sinful actions to accomplish his will. It was only because of Rebekah and Jacob's lying and scheming that the older would serve the younger. That the younger, Jacob, actually did obtain the blessing and Esau was excluded. And yet, we also see the Lord, even though he uses their sinful actions to accomplish his will, he also allows them to suffer the consequences of their sinful actions. Rebecca, after sending her son Jacob away at the end of this chapter, will never see her beloved son again. And after this scene, she vanishes from the book of Genesis. We don't even read of her death in the same way that we read of the death of 
of Sarah or the death of, uh, of Rachel or the death of Leah. Her death is omitted. It's interesting. We read of the death of her nurse, Deborah, in chapter 35, but we never hear of Rebecca again until at the very end of the book we read that she had been buried with her husband, Isaac. Clearly, this is an indictment on her actions. Clearly, the fact that she disappears, that she is unable ultimately to get what she wants, experiencing uh, 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 her son, her favored son, obtaining the blessing and seeing that, ultimately we see this is a consequence of her actions. And Jacob, for his part, he will have to flee for his life. He'll have to flee to his uncle Laban, who himself is a master of deception, who pulls several fast ones on Jacob, and Jacob, through the school of hard knocks, has to learn the consequences of being lied to. And after 20 years in exile, he returns to the land of promise, a broken man in fear and trepidation of his brother. This one act of deception will haunt him for years to come, for decades to come, and he comes back in complete terror of his brother Esau, of of fearing what would happen to him. And it's only at that time that Jacob, at their reunion in in chapter 33, will actually insist that that Jacob bless Esau. He insists that he receives the blessing. It's as if he's trying to give this blessing back to his brother. Because at the end of the day, he realized his deception would only get him so far. And at that time, the reason why Jacob was able to say, I insist you take a blessing from me, is because he says, God has already blessed me. It was the night before at Penuel that Jacob wrestled with the angel of the Lord all night where he begged the angel, who in fact is God himself, to bless him. Knowing that only the blessings of God's free grace would be the blessing he needs. This is an important lesson for Jacob to learn, but it's going to be a hard lesson, a long, hard lesson for him to learn. And so ultimately, Jacob's original fear that he would not get a blessing, but he would get a curse kind of happened that way. Through his lying, through his deceiving, through his scheming, he brought more hardship and turmoil upon himself. And only when he realized that he could receive the blessing of God through faith alone, in God alone, Only then did he receive the blessing. And I think ultimately that is an important lesson for all of us to learn. As Paul writes to the Galatians in Galatians chapter 3, who were tempted to add to the grace of God their own works, they were tempted to take the works of the law and supplement their salvation through that. Paul warns them, that, that the same thing that Jacob feared, that, they would get a, that he would get a curse rather than a blessing, Paul warns them that's what would happen to each and every one of us who seek to save ourselves through the works of the law. He says in Galatians 3, beginning in verse 11, Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law, for the righteous shall live by faith. But the law is not of faith. Rather, the one who does them shall live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. So that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles 
so that we might receive, receive the promised spirit through faith. As we consider these two, two twin brothers who are fighting over this blessing, we need to realize that none of them deserve it. As a matter of fact, none of us deserve any blessing. Through our own works, through our own devices and desires, each and every one of us deserve nothing more than the curse of God. And yet because of Jesus Christ, because of his perfect life, because of his sacrificial death, because of him becoming a curse for us, we don't receive a curse, but we receive a blessing. But that is only received through faith alone in Christ alone. Amen? Let's give thanks.